some of these things. I, I thought of a scripture as we were worshiping and singing to the Lord, and it's out of Micah. It is fitting for this Christmas season. It's actually a prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus. It's out of Micah chapter 5. Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Jesus may have been born in Bethlehem, but he didn't get a start in Bethlehem. He is from everlasting. He is the eternal king of glory. And I thought of that scripture, and I thought, as Caleb made a comment about little old us and little old Taylor, and we think, here we are, small congregation in a small city, small town, you might think, what difference can I make in the world? Me and my family, we're just struggling to, to make it, much less change the world around me. But See, that's the kind of thinking that we need to put away. It's not that we need to go out and try to, you know, become world-known and world-renowned, but, but it does mean that we should go about our life every day and not minimize, not trivialize who we are in Christ. And if God, in His sovereign grace, caused you to be a resident of Taylor, if He caused you to be born where you were born, or to live where you are, or to do what you're doing right now, wherever you're doing it, if God saw fit to do that, then He did that, for his own purpose, for his own reasons. And that means that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you can and you should live with the attitude that nothing is impossible with God. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes said concerning Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> well, what good thing has come out of Galilee? Well, Nothing great has ever come from there. Isn't this just the carpenter's son? Do you trust God? Do you have faith that even right here in Taylor, Texas, God could use you, could use us to affect change? in a meaningful and eternal way. It doesn't really matter whether we ever know it or not. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter whether we see the results of it or read about it. Do you go about your life every day believing that whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not, God can and God will use your life to change the world, to change someone, to change something eternally? We should. We absolutely should. Let's go to Nehemiah. We're still in the book of Nehemiah. Last week I talked to you about rediscovering purpose. We're talking about a mindset to build. And last week we talked about purpose and, and that we need to be rediscovering purpose all the time. 
Now today we're going to talk about rediscovering commitment. <clears throat> and actually, I had, some, I had some thoughts that just came to me. I wrote some thoughts down, and I'm actually going to read some thoughts to you today. I, know I don't like to do that, but it doesn't really matter because I love what Paul said. Paul said, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. Uh, I didn't come to you in the power of my speech or the words of wisdom of this world, but I came to you in fear and in trembling. I purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. So it's not how the message is delivered. It, it is the message itself. If we're preaching the gospel, if we're proclaiming the gospel, it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. Amen? That's what the Scripture says. And that's what we should believe. And so even when you share, when you shout it from the mountains, when you tell it to the mass, masses, even if you shout it or you tell it with fear and trembling, if what you are shouting and what you are telling is the gospel of Christ, it's not your ability to speak it. It is the very words that you speak that have the power to change and to transform lives. That should give all of us hope. I don't have to be a professional speaker. I don't have to be eloquent in what I say. I don't have to be a Bible scholar. But I need to know the truth. And I should be able to speak the truth in love. And that truth that I speak, God says, that is the power to change lives. So rediscovering commitment. I'm not going to read a lot of Nehemiah today because what I'm going to talk to you about when we talk about commitment, it spans uh, quite a few chapters here. And we kind of worked up to chapter 9 last week when we talked about purpose. And remember when we talked about purpose, we said <clears throat> purpose is multi-layered, it's multifaceted. Um, I have a purpose in talking to you for the next several minutes. But, and it's very specific in my purpose of talking to you today and what I'm going to say to you today, but that specific purpose of talking to you is not an end unto itself. It's only a part of a greater purpose. So God chose me. He called me to be a pastor. There are, there are people, there are men called everywhere today who are standing in pulpits preaching the gospel. They have a purpose to preach. They have a purpose to deliver a, a specific message on this day, this 2nd of December, 2012, but the very fact that God's called men to preach the gospel, each one of those men and each one of those messages represents a specific purpose, but all of those are tied together to create a greater purpose. The proclamation of the gospel. We're looking in Nehemiah and we're looking at the historical account of God's people rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the wall. And we see in Scripture that that city, that very city is a type and a shadow. It speaks of something to come. It still today speaks of something to come. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 14, the writer of Hebrews tells the Hebrews he's writing to, we have no continuing city here. And he's warning them, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Don't go back to that city to offer animal sacrifices. You're going to get caught. Because we don't have a continuing city here, but we look for the city 
that is above. The same city that Abraham looked for. He said, I'm not going to settle for a city here because I've seen by faith in the Spirit the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. We see that very city coming down from heaven in the book of Revelation. This is what the writer of Hebrews means. He had no, no continuing city here. But yet, as we talk about Nehemiah, as we look at this historical account of a real city being rebuilt, we understand that God is showing us a picture that he is building his people, his church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew. I will build my church, my called out ones, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's what the word church, ecclesia, means the called out assembly, the called out ones, the assembly of called out ones. You are the church. You are the very thing Jesus is building today. There have been many that have gone before you. There will be many that will come after you. We are but stones. The, Peter says we're living stones being built up a holy habitation in the Spirit. There are many stones before us, many stones that will come after us, but we are, this is our time of visitation. So the question is, are we going to play our part? Are we going to, with purpose and with commitment, be who God has called us to be? And are we going to do that in faith? And we talk about rediscovering commitment. We can go through Nehemiah here, and I just want to touch on some broad themes that we see here. For instance, in Nehemiah chapter 9, the whole chapter here in chapter 9 It's the people remembering. The Levites come out and they begin in detail to recount from the very moment of creation up until the very moment that they're standing there worshiping God on that day. And the Levites recount. They were committed to remember. God told the children of Israel in Egypt when they did the Passover, He said every year, celebrate this. Tell it to your children and to your children's children so that what? So that you will remember what the Lord has done. And now these Levites go through and they chronicle as part of the worship service here, they're remembering everything God has done. They're remembering not only the deliverance, but they're remembering the judgment that their own sin had brought upon their nation and their people. And I love what this says. Look, look at this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33, toward the end of this. It says in verse 33, However, you are just. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. But what do they say? But you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully. That has got to be our attitude, not just in worship, but in life. That God is faithful regardless of what might befall us, that God is faithful. Whether we understand or not, that God is faithful. Now, I don't have to like the dealings of God. 
But I have to say, God, you are faithful in all things. And I might not understand the dealings of God, but I, but I can confess this. God, your plans and your purposes are good. How do we know that? Because the scripture declares that they are. God himself declares that they are. And that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, the scripture declares to us. So they were committed to remember. In Nehemiah 10.29, they committed to covenant. Look at, look at Nehemiah 10.29. This is, this is kind of a scary thing. It says, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. They entered into a curse and an oath. They were committed to covenant. And they said, even to our own harm, we commit to this. They were committed to give their resources. And we see in Nehemiah 10, 35 through 38, where where Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites and the, the priests, they exhort the people to once again bring the tithe and to bring the first fruits that the house of God would not be forsaken. And they made a commitment to give their resources. They committed to give themselves. In chapter 11, we see that the people drew lots. And one out of every ten persons was chosen by lot to dwell in Jerusalem. Can't go back to the farm. Can't go back to the farm with mom and dad. I have been chosen by lot to dwell in Jerusalem. And look what the scripture declares to us here. In, in, in chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. They literally offered themselves. It was a sacrifice that they made. And they committed to give themselves, to offer themselves. They committed to give thanks. In Nehemiah 12, 27, we see that on the day uh, that they dedicated the wall of Jerusalem, they came together, it says, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing. And they assembled two thanksgiving choirs now, when we talk about building the wall of Jerusalem, I don't want you guys to misunderstand me. We're not talking about limestone, rocks, or stones. This wall was big enough for two Thanksgiving choirs with hundreds of people to walk around. You could drive chariots on top of the wall. This is a big wall that they completed in 52 days. And so they committed to thanksgiving and they, they put these choirs up on the wall and they went opposite directions and they went around the whole entire city on top of the wall and they gave thanks to God. They were committed to give thanks. In Nehemiah twelve forty three, it says they committed themselves to rejoice with great joy. Look at verse 43. Nehemiah 12, 43, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. 
And the women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Now, I think that's an interesting scripture. God made them rejoice. There is a sacrifice of praise, the book of Hebrews talks about, that we offer up unto God the sacrifice of praise. And we can see from the Old Testament that the sacrifice brought was to be brought willingly. There was what was called the free will offering. So God didn't hold a gun to someone's head and say, you take the sacrifice to Jerusalem, you offer it to me, or else. And there were times, no doubt, just as there are in our lives, when we offer up the sacrifice of praise that you might not just feel real praisey today. You ever been there? You might not feel especially thankful today because of all that you're having to walk through in life, but you offer up your thanks to God in spite of it. You offer up your praise in spite of the fact that you don't feel like praising Him. Because He's worthy whether you feel like it or not. But I think this is so interesting here. This was... A special grace that God gave his people here in verse 43. It says, on that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice. I think it's absolutely within our right to ask that God would make us rejoice. I think in those times when we don't feel like rejoicing, when we don't feel like offering praise, when we're not especially feeling very thankful, that's the, perhaps the greatest time for you to pray, God, would you make me rejoice? Would you, would you give to me the grace to greatly rejoice and to give thanks? So they committed to rejoice with great joy. In Nehemiah 13, 11, we see that they committed to honor the house of God. Nehemiah writes, he says, I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Remember, they committed their resources. They did that, but then a period of time went and the people stopped bringing their tithe. They stopped bringing their offerings. They stopped bringing the first fruit. Nehemiah goes back to Persia to serve the king for a period of time, and he comes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, the house of God is forsaken. He said, what's going on? The Levites have all gone back. They're all back there doing what they have to do to make a living because there's nothing here in the house of God. And Nehemiah comes and he says, he contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouses. And I pointed as treasurers over the storehouse. And he gave them their tasks to distribute to their brethren. In verse 14, Nehemiah says, Remember me, O Lord my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. They were committed to the house of God. In Nehemiah 13.22, they were committed to the Sabbath. Nehemiah comes back. Not only does he find the house of God forsaken, the people aren't bringing the 
the tithe and the first fruits and the resources in that God commanded. But he finds out that on the Sabbath, they're buying and selling and trading, and you got, you got people coming from all over, camping outside of Jerusalem and setting up their flea market out there, and, and here it is on the Sabbath, and all the people are going out, and they're buying, and they're selling, and they're wheeling, and they're dealing, and Nehemiah comes and says, what are you guys doing? He said, don't you know that this is what got us into hot water to begin with? We just spent 70 years in captivity because you guys forsook the Sabbath. You wouldn't honor the Sabbath. And so every seventh year, for every seventh year that you failed to honor the Sabbath, God put us into captivity. 490 years they didn't honor the Sabbath. 70 divided by 7, or 490 divided by 7, was 70. He sent them into captivity every seventh year that they didn't honor the Sabbath like they were supposed to. They didn't let the land rest. They didn't do what God had commanded them to do. And he said, don't you guys understand? We, we just have been restored to our land, and here you are. You're not honoring the Sabbath. And so they set up a garden, told the Levites, he said, go run all those people off, shut the gates, lock the gates, Stand out there when they come, tell them, if you don't go away, you guys are going to get it. No one's coming out on the Sabbath. And finally, the people stop coming on the Sabbath. And, and Nehemiah says to the Lord, he says, remember me, O God, concerning this. And spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Because he helped the people come to understand that they were to be committed to honor the Sabbath. I could park there for a while, but I'm not going to because I don't have time. So we'll park there another day. And then in the last chapter of Nehemiah, I want you to see this. They committed to not profane themselves. So it's interesting. As they begin to read the law, and they realize there wasn't supposed to be an... Uh, there was not supposed to be a Moabite or Ammonite in the house of God, and you had, you had Tobiah living in the temple. When they found out what the Word of God says, they kicked him out because he, by law, was not supposed to be there. They had intermarried, and they had intermixed with the, the races around them. And the problem was that these people worshipped false gods had nothing to do with the color of their skin, had nothing to do with anything other than the fact that these people worship false gods. And God told them, he said, if you marry, intermarry and have kids with these who worship other gods, eventually, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be drawn away and you're going to worship other gods. This has been consistent in the history of God's people. This is why today we tell young men and young women, Marriage is good. It's a good thing. But if you think you're going to marry that young woman or that young man and you're going to win them over to the Lord because you're so this or you're all that, you're wrong. So young men and young women, old men and old women, it's not just young men and young women that get married, right? Whoever we are, whatever stage of life we're in, we need to, if we're going to be yoked with somebody, we need to be yoked with someone who is of the same faith, of the same belief. Otherwise, you're not going to win them. 
This is a spiritual principle. This is why God warns us not to do it. Because inevitably, you know what? You're going to be drawn away. And so they committed to not profane themselves. And they remembered what God had told them. And he says, even Solomon, the wisest man, these pagan women caused even Solomon to sin. So you see this commitment to so many things. Now we talked about purpose and how purpose is interwoven into everything that we do. So purpose is as specific and it is as broad as you can imagine. You hear me? Purpose in your life is as specific or is as broad as you can imagine. It's momentary, but it's also eternal as it works for the glory of God. It's purpose that motivates you to accomplish the immediate and most common tasks before you, and it's purpose that weaves that mundane task into the greater tapestry of God's eternal purpose and glory. The days and the tasks of our daily life may be separated in time and scope, but the purpose of most that we do, listen, the purpose of most things we do is lost in our daily routine. You don't do most of the things you do because you sit there and said, now listen, I wonder what God's eternal purpose is, whether I wear my brown shoes or my black shoes today. You don't do that, do you? You just put on whichever ones you want to put on. Well, it might not be that easy for all the women, but it is, it is easy. That, well, never mind. I'm fixing to get into trouble. So most of what we do is just lost in the routine of daily life, but we don't do anything void of purpose. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we need to understand that. That everything we do, the routine of you getting up, brushing your teeth, putting your clothes on, taking your shower, whatever, take your shower, then put your clothes on, going to work, you might do that without thinking every day, but there's purpose involved in it, whether you realize it or not. That purpose might be lost in the daily routine, but before you know it, man, sooner or later, one day, God's eternal purpose is just going to reveal itself in an opportunity or a moment in time and you didn't wake up that morning doing what you were doing because you thought that some great purpose was going to be achieved, but there is no great purpose achieved unless we faithfully do the things, even the things with purpose that are lost in the daily routine. So all things work together into one eternal, glorious, and good purpose in Him and for Him. All things flow together for the glory of God. Do you believe that, church, that all things flow together for the glory of God? They do. All things flow together for the glory of God, like a mighty river that carries all things into the fathomless depth of His eternal glory. All things work together for His glory. It's like this giant river that's carrying everything into this ocean that has a depth that we cannot fathom. It's the depth of His glory. And everything is being swept into, carried into this ocean of His eternal glory. We can be swept along unaware like debris, 
riding on the current, or we can navigate his river in and with his purpose. You ever seen a river swollen, flooded river? And there's just logs and debris just being carried down that river. He is Lord of everything. I'm telling you what, everything is flowing toward this ocean of His eternal glory. The debris, everything. And we can just float along, be carried along, or we can navigate His river with and in His purpose. We can't control the flow, and we can't control the direction, but we can rest in Him and And we can rest in the reality that He has placed us in His river. And He has revealed to us that He has purpose in all things. We used to go every year in July. We'd go to Garner State Park and we'd float the Frio River. If you've ever been to the Frio River, you know that most of the years that you would go you had to work really hard to get to the places where you could just be carried along like that, the rapids. But if you hit it just right and there was the right amount of rainfall, you could get in that river and you could float for miles and never have to paddle and never worry about hitting bottom. And you had come to these spots where, I mean, just the current was just nice and you're just floating along. But you'd come to these other spots where There'd be rocks and trees and the river would narrow. And I'm telling you what, you're going through white water and you're getting dumped out of your tube and then you're just getting rolled along the rocks there. There just wasn't much you could do about it. You're just going to get carried along. Couldn't change the course of the river. Couldn't make the direction go the other way. Couldn't stop it. You're just there and, and you're just getting carried along. I think, in a lot of ways, this is the way life is. But God didn't put us in the river without revealing to us. We understand today, you're hearing my voice, you're hearing the words and the truth of God, that God has put you in this life. He has put you, if I could say it this way, in His river, and He's put you there with purpose, and He has a purpose in all things. Whether you understand it or not, it doesn't matter. He has a purpose in all things. So we can't change the flow. We can't change the direction. But we can understand that he has a purpose in all things. The journey may be filled with hardship and adventure. But it's more abundantly filled with his love and his joy and his peace. These are the treasures that he has given us the grace to partake of. These are the treasures that he He encourages us to find along the way. He promises for us a glorious consummation to our journey's end and to all, to all that He has purposed. What determines whether a boat and its crew are more than another piece of debris being carried along the current of the river? What? Is it that determines whether a boat and its crew is just another piece of debris being carried along the current of the river? The boat and its crew can have purpose, as all things do, but there's something else that will determine how they finish their journey, and that something is commitment. I I believe I can say this in all honesty today. 
we are all here and we're all in the river and we're all being carried along. The question is, how are we going to finish our journey? We're all going to finish it some way. The question is, how are we going to finish it? And it's not purpose that determines that. It's commitment, I believe, that determines that. Purpose with commitment will determine not whether God will be glorified, but how we will participate in that glory. Do you realize saints and sinners, angels and demons, will all glorify God in the end? They will. Heaven and hell will glorify God. So it's not a question of whether we're going to glorify God or not. It's how we're going to participate in that glory. So saint and sinner, angel and demon, they all contribute to the glory of God, but they will not all contribute in the same way. How do you want to contribute to His glory? It's never a question of whether we are committed. The question is, to what are we committed? Now remember our imaginary boat on our imaginary river, okay? And our imaginary crew that's in that boat, floating on that river. The men in that boat being carried along by the current, making no effort to navigate the river, they are committed. They are committed to do nothing. <laughs> now, whether they, whether they all had a meeting and said, look, guys, we want to have a strategy meeting here. We're on this river being carried along. I think we should make a commitment to do nothing. Probably not. You're committed to something whether you realize it or not. It may be nothing, but you're committed. Those men are committed to let the river and to let the current determine how they will navigate and ultimately end their journey. Their commitment is without question. Their inaction speaks loud and clear. They are committed to do nothing but go along for the ride. On this river, that is a commitment that carries the promise of certain destruction. The Bible declares this to us, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Paul says in that day they will be without excuse because the very creation declares. So no one's going to be able to stand, but, but God, you know, none of those people from Christ Fellowship came and told me. The fact that they will be without excuse does not relieve us of our responsibility to, as we sang today, shout it from the mountains and tell it to the masses. We can't ever say, well, you know, God, it doesn't matter whether I tell them or not, they're going to be without excuse, so they should know whether I tell them or not. No, the reality is that is true. Whether you tell them or not, they, they should know. But it's also true that Jesus has very clearly in his word commanded us to tell, to preach, to make disciples of all men. What are you committed to? We're all committed to something or to some things. Before you answer that question, if you know the answer, a lot of people don't know the answer to that question. What are you committed to? Because we don't think about that. We just do. We just go through life. We do our daily routine and we never think about the implications of what we're doing.
Consider this, that many people are committed to things and they don't even realize it. Like those guys in the boat who chose to do nothing but just see where the current took them. We need to ask ourselves these questions. Here's two questions we need to all ask ourselves. What am I committed to? And what am I committed to that I do not realize? It's easy to say, well, you know, I'm committed to my family. I'm committed. You can make a list. It's not quite as easy, but we should give it some thought to ask ourselves, what am I committed to that I don't realize? Because there's a lot of things that we do by default that we do without thinking because we're just carried along by the culture, by the world, by the things around us that distract us and entice us. And we're really committed to those things whether we realize it or not. Like I said, being committed to nothing is being committed to something. When you begin to identify the things that you're committed to, you then need to begin to determine if the things you are committed to are worthy of your commitment. God has blessed us all with a finite amount of time, talent, and treasure during our visitation here on this earth. If all of us in this room lived to a maximum of human lifespan... If by strength we were able to live 120 years, I don't know if I really want to live that old. Unless I can get around really good. I still have all my energy. But even if by strength we're able to do that, that's nothing compared to the eternity that we will spend when we leave this life. This is just a part of that. This is just our time of visitation on the earth. What are we committed to during our time of visitation here with our finite amount of time and talent and treasure? The things we commit to ourselves, the things that we commit ourselves to and how we carry out those commitments should reflect the eternal value of the treasure that has been entrusted to us by God. Do we understand the value of the treasure has been entrusted to us. If you've never done it before, I would encourage you during this Christmas season to meditate on the value of the treasure that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And ask yourself, is what you are investing yourself in, your time in, your talents in, your treasure in, is it worthy of that? treasure that he has given to us or are we as jesus said casting our pearls before swine as the people of god we need to constantly rediscover purpose but we also need to rediscover commitment We need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to go into His Word and look at the Scripture and and see if those things that we are committing ourselves to are worthy of Him, worthy of the commitment we're making. We need to rediscover that and measure that and evaluate that against the Scriptures and the plans and the purposes God has revealed to us in His Word. Consider the Great Commission. 
It is our commission. Turn over there to Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. I kind of wish we wouldn't call it that. I kind of wish we would call it our commission. Because the Great Commission sounds like something put up somewhere that we go see every so often when we're on vacation. We're going to go into the Great Commission Museum and see the Great Commission, kind of like going to see the you know, the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. No, it's our commission. It's our commission. The Great Commission is our commission given to us by Jesus. We have no other. It is the overriding purpose and commitment we are to invest in. It is God's own plan to transform men and to change the world. This is God's plan. It's not our plan. It's not the plan of man. It's the plan of Jesus Christ. Just before he left planet Earth to go to his Father and to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high, this is what he told his church. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus spoke those words to his disciples that were in his presence on that day. But he spoke those words to his disciples for you and for me, understanding that we would read those words, we would hear those words, we would know those words in our own life, in our own time of visitation on planet Earth. This is our commission. This is your commission. As believers, our first commitment must be to God, and that means we are committed to the things that God has not only revealed to us, but the things He has commanded us. He has commanded us to go and to make disciples. That means we must first commit to become disciples ourselves. I'm going to tell you right now, just coming to church on Sunday morning isn't going to make you a disciple. It might make you an attender. It might make you a churchgoer. It might make you proud of your family heritage, but it does not make you a disciple. That means we need to commit to become disciples ourselves and then be disciples who are committed to make disciples. You know how we got here? Disciples were multiplied. If we want to just start on the day of Pentecost, it really starts way back before then. But if we just want to start on the day of Pentecost and the 120 people that came out of that upper room, or if we just want to back up about three and a half years earlier than that and start with Jesus and the 12 guys he picked to disciple for three and a half years, along with others. But those 12 that became his apostles, one of those betrayed him. We start right there, and we see that discipleship was multiplied to the point that here we are in little old Taylor, Texas, a town that the overwhelming majority of the world doesn't even know exists. Here we are talking about Jesus Christ. 
talking about making disciples, quoting the very words of Jesus, quoting our commission to go and to make disciples of all the nations. We are a product of that commission. We are still commanded today to carry that commission out. And that commission is not carried out because we come to church on Sunday. Coming to church is an important part of that. But we've made this the the end all and be all of everything. And we have fooled ourselves into thinking that if every chair in here was full and all the money coffers were overflowing with money, then we're good to go. No, we're not. Because that doesn't make a disciple. And whether we have a building or chairs or anything should not determine whether we're making disciples or not. The question is not what's going to happen here on Sunday morning. The question is what's going to happen when you leave here. What's going to happen on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, Thursday night? What's going to happen the rest of your life? How are you going to be a disciple making disciples? And if I, now I'm going to confess my failure to you, I believe I have failed to do a good job of making disciples who in turn go out and make disciples. When we see people who profess to be believers demonstrating such poor character, someone has failed somewhere. And I'll be like Harry Truman and say the buck stops here. And my number one job as your pastor is to equip you for the work of ministry. And that doesn't mean you're going to be a famous evangelist or a famous singer or a famous whatever, preacher. What that means is you're going to be equipped to go out every day in the mundane, daily, grimy routine of life and you're going to learn, you're going to multiply disciples. You're going to multiply yourself. The character and the life of Jesus in you, you're going to multiply that. You're going to reproduce that in somebody else. And you don't care whether the world knows you're doing it or not. You don't care whether you ever write a book. Do you know that Jesus, as far as we know, never wrote a single word down? Jesus didn't write this Bible. Other men wrote this Bible. But it wouldn't have been written without him. You may never record what you say and what you do, but I promise you God is. He is. Is this your commission? It is. It's your commission. It's my commission. We're not given power to control the river, but we are given power to navigate it and to overcome the things we have no control over. We may not have a choice as to whether we're carried along the current of God's eternal purposes, but we are given the choice of how we will navigate that course, whether it is navigated in faith or in unbelief. We are given the promise of a glorious journey with a glorious end that leads us to an even more glorious and new beginning. If you read in Ezekiel 47, let's turn there and I'm closing with this. I was reminded of this as we were worshiping, singing, and I thought about the river in Ezekiel. 
says, then he, look at verse 8. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. Where, when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river goes will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It can be frightening you've ever been on a river or you've ever been out in a boat, I grew up on the coast, you've ever been out in a boat in the storm and you realize you have no control over the things around you. Just like the disciples did that night on the Sea of Galilee. But yet, what did Jesus say? He said, oh, ye of little faith. He didn't, he didn't deny the storm. He didn't deny the danger. He didn't deny the fact that they were fearful. But he pointed out their little faith. Sometimes it is dangerous. Sometimes it is out of control. Sometimes we have to stop in those moments and we have to remember. We have to say, Jesus, you are faithful. Everywhere the river goes, it brings life. Do you know that floods are God's natural, it's His way of, cleaning up things? Do you know if a river never flooded, you know how dirty and scummy it gets? You go to the Frio River after a good flood, and I'm telling you what, just all the scum and all the filth, it's just washed, it's washed out. It's washed away. It's not real pretty when it's happening. It's pretty dangerous while it's going on. You've got to be pretty brave to get on the river when that's happening, or stupid, or both. But even that, there's a purpose served. And when it's all said and done, there is this new beginning. There's this new life. Or we think of the ocean where everything flows to. And we see this picture now of the course of time is carrying us where? It's carrying us to God's new beginning in that day when the consummation of all things takes place. And there is a, literally a new earth in a new heaven. And the curse is gone and not to be found. This is the course that we're on, Christian. That God is leading us to this glorious place where the consummation will take place. And it's, it's beyond what we can imagine. And we need to rediscover commitment and we need to live for His glory. Amen? We need to rediscover commitment and we need to live for His glory. Let's all stand. What are you committed to? What things in your life are just carrying you along because you've chosen not to navigate but just to let it happen? Some things we have no control over. Some things take control of us because we choose to not take control of them. 
Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds and help us to see. Help us, God, to see the things that have taken control of us. That you have given us the power to navigate. We don't have to just be stuck and out of control, being carried along through life, wondering what we're going to bump into next or whether we're going to make it around the next corner. You, Lord, are in control. You are Lord of all. God, you've given us faith. You've given us your name. The scripture declares that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God. They're mighty in the spirit to pull down strongholds, thoughts and imaginations. Things that take our mind captive. Things that hold us captive. God, we don't have to give place to those things. We don't have to be victims of circumstance. Lord, you have made us overcomers more than conquerors. Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people that would not only rediscover purpose continuously, but God, we would rediscover commitment. That we would evaluate the things that we have committed our lives to. Some are good and worthy of you and of your glory. Some, God, are not. They are wasting our time And they're wasting our talent. And they're wasting our treasure. And I pray, God, you would give us the wisdom to discern between the two. And that we would act wisely in our commitments. And in making commitments. Father, bless your people. Speak to us, Lord, through your word. Speak to us by your Spirit, God, as you lead us and guide us into all truth. And Lord, I pray that the truth would set us free. God, you've commissioned us to make disciples. I pray, God, that you would convict us to be disciples and to have a desire to be disciple makers. Father, I pray as a pastor that you would help me to equip this people more effectively to carry out your commission and that we as leaders, as elders, God would make a commitment to that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I want to do this. uh, I want to pray for Cindy. She is really battling fatigue. And if you would just uh, stretch out your hand or any that would like, just come and gather around her. We just love on her today. She's been going through treatment and she's really fatigued. And all the tests reveal that this treatment's doing what it's supposed to do, but it's still a battle. Father, I just thank you for Cindy. Lord, we thank you that you're a healer. You are our healer. Lord, healing is one of your names. The God who heals. And Father, this is a woman of faith. God, we thank you for healing her. We thank you that every report she has received so far has verified, God, that that treatment is doing what it's supposed to do, that cancer has been taken out, has been diminished, it's gone. Father, I pray that you would help her day by day, moment by moment, to walk through this battlefield that she is warring in. 
and that you would give her your strength. I'm reminded, Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I just pray her joy would be full and that your joy in her would remain. Bless her, Father, with your peace. Bless her, God, with your power. And thank you, Lord, for healing her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you all. Remember, if you haven't signed up for the dinner, please do that. Drop your connection card with your updated info uh, or your current info in the basket. And I see one tag left. And if you haven't gotten one, I would invite you to be a blessing. Today at 530, Truth Project. We'll see you there. God bless.